of the greatest stories of faith come from God's chosen people in the Old Testament. What can we learn from these men and women who were earnestly seeking God? Walk with us as we capture snapshots of faith from the great cloud of witnesses and the lessons we can learn from them today. But I want to begin by uh, sharing an experience that my family had about three months ago. Beth and I took our kids and our grandkids to Knott's Berry Farm. And that's the poor man's Disneyland, if you're not familiar with it. And so we were uh, spending almost the entire day in Snoopy land. Now, I love Snoopy, but you can only get so much of Snoopy before you're ready for something different. So my youngest daughter uh, said, Dad, let's break away and let's go on a cool ride. So we did. We went on hang time. And that's hang time. It starts off and you go vertically straight up at a 90 degree angle. So we're going up and up. Well, I should have known, I had never been on the ride before. I should have known I was in trouble when we were the last people on the ride and nobody was sitting in the front row. Everybody wants the front row. Nobody wanted the front row on this ride. So we're in the front row and we go all the way to the top. And then as we go over the top, it stops. Hang time. And I'm like this, leaning over thinking, oh Lord, may these seat belts hold. And as we're hanging there, all of a sudden it releases and that ride takes off. And we're twisting and we're turning and we're going upside down and we're moving all the way through. It was so much fun. And we got to the end, and my hair's all standing straight up and we get off the ride and a few minutes later I'm thinking, isn't that like our life of faith? God is so good to me. He gives me these little pictures. And I'm thinking, this is so much like the life of faith. Twists and turns. All sorts of changes. One minute we're doing great. The next minute we're, we're screaming down a mountain. Another minute we're climbing up an incline. And it seems like, just like the rest of life, it changes. It changes. And we're going to see that. I want to illustrate that in the life of King Hezekiah this morning because I think his faith journey is a lot like ours. Times where we're really following God and we're doing the things God's calling us to do and wants us to do, then other times we're just kind of, we're sleeping. We're not awake at the wheel. We're not paying attention. Other times we're purposely moving in a different direction away from God. It's the twists and turns of the life of faith. I think it's true for you. I know it's true for me. And so this morning as we look at King Hezekiah, his reign begins so wonderfully. Hezekiah, his father was King Ahaz. And King Ahaz was not a man who followed God. He didn't, he allowed the nation to really wander away from God. As Audrey was reading, we talk, he talked about the, the different high places that 
that Hezekiah had, had already cut down. Those were places within the nation that Ahaz allowed for the worship of false gods. And Hezekiah immediately, as he comes to the throne, he has those torn down. He begins to have the people rebuild the temple of the Lord that had fallen into a state of disrepair. And then he calls the nation as a leader, as a king, to follow God. And what we see is the first time in a very long time, a revival begin in the nation of Judah. A revival begins to happen in this nation. It was an incredible beginning. Now, as I think about my beginning of my faith journey, when I met Jesus as a teenager, I remember getting up early every morning, and I, I, and I was a normal teenager. Well, relative to who I am today, I was normal. And I just, I got up every morning at six in the morning, and I began to read the book of John, and I could not write fast enough in this journal that I bought to help me record the things that God was showing me in his word. What a beginning. Revival in my heart. I had come alive spiritually. And I, excuse me, was drawn to Jesus. Maybe that was your story too. Think about the beginning of your faith journey. Think about the passion and the excitement. Think about the newness of life that you were experiencing. Because what happens is, life happens. And before we know it, we're distracted. Before we know it, the, the world is conforming us to its image, rather than allowing ourselves to be conformed to the image of Jesus. It was true for Hezekiah. And it could be true for us as well. In this last week of snapshots, we're going to be looking at King Hezekiah. And there's four things that I want you to see. There are many more we could look at. But two examples that are very positive from Hezekiah. Because there were high times in his faith, low times in his faith. And we want to learn from both examples. Because both examples speak to us. Here's the first thing that I want you to see this morning that has always been very significant for me. Times of relative peace, times of relative security in my life, are really times to secure the walls of my faith. Now, I want you to, I want you to follow this because it's something that I've seen over many years of ministry that I know to be true in the lives of most people. What happens is just our human nature. When life starts going well for us, we just kind of go through the motions of life. Everything's going well, so we don't really make time for God. We might still go to church, but we just kind of, we're mailing it in. We're just sitting through the service, thinking about that game we're going to watch later in the day. Or we're thinking about our week, because there's nothing really pushing us to be serious about our faith right now. Life is good. Over the years, uh, particularly at my last church, there were people that if I saw them at church, I knew they were in a crisis. Because the only time I saw them was when they were in crisis. When something hard was going on, they ran to church. 
And they tried to get close to God so God would bail them out. And then life would get, they'd go, would, would shift, things would get easy, and they'd just kind of go on their way. We do that as people. In fact, this is, they have done research to show that any time there is some kind uh, in America, some kind of national or international crisis, people flood to churches. What happened after 9-11? Churches filled up because people felt insecure. People no longer felt safe. We always thought nobody could touch us. We're the United States of America. And then terrorism touched our own land. We're afraid. People came back to church. When there are periods of strong economic downturn, churches tend to fill up because people are afraid. They're in crisis. But here's the problem with that. If we're not building the walls of our faith during times of relative peace as well, if we are not consistently developing our relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ, then what happens in those times of crisis, they don't grow us, but they reveal the lack of spiritual maturity. And we're crushed. We're crushed by the experiences that we have. I remember when I was a young believer that somebody told me that crisis doesn't make... uh, uh, Crisis makes us or it breaks us. But what I have learned is crisis doesn't make us, it doesn't break us. Crisis reveals what's already there. And if we have not taken the time to build that spiritual wall of faith, it will be revealed in times of crisis, one way or the other. Listen to what happened in a time of relative peace for Hezekiah. Now, let me, um, Audrey did a great job of, through uh, 2 Chronicles 32, of laying out a lot of the story of, of Hezekiah. What's happening here is the Assyrian, Assyria, the Assyrian army, is the strongest army in the world in that day. They are a great army. They are a fierce army. They are led by a cruel king, Sennacherib. And what happens is, they have destroyed the the northern kingdom of Israel. The 10 tribes to the north are decimated by the Assyrian army. And now they're focusing their attention on surrounding nations, including Judah. But while they are distracted by some other nations, it could have been a time for Hezekiah to say, oh, good, we get some time of peace. We don't have to do anything, but he didn't do that. Listen to what he does. They gathered a large group of people who blocked all the springs and the stream that flowed through the land. Why should the king of Assyria come and find plenty of water, they said. Then he worked hard repairing all the broken sections of the wall and building towers on it. He built another wall outside that one and reinforced the terraces of the city of David, which is Jerusalem. He also made large numbers of weapons and shields. What did he do? What Hezekiah understood was this. We may be at peace now, but that day is coming. That day is coming when Assyria Assyria will come to the walls of our city. And so what he did was, 
he went out and he blocked streams and they built what's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. Beth and I have walked Hezekiah's Tunnel. It is a very long tunnel and people were very short back then. In fact, I even had to bend over a little bit. And water now was redirected from streams on the outside of the walls that were giving water to the, would have given water to the enemy to water inside where the people would have plenty of water even in a time of a long siege. Smart. He also began to fortify the walls because the walls had kind of broken apart a little bit. Nobody had been taking care of the city. And so they fortified the walls. He built terraces for his, uh, his guys that were going to shoot arrows. They had a place to shoot from. And then he built a second wall so the enemy would have to go over two walls to get into the city. What is he doing? He's preparing in a time of peace for the eventuality of war. Friends, here's what I want you to know this morning. You may not be in a time of crisis today, but you will be. That time is coming. It's true for everybody in this room. Everybody who's hearing my voice today online. The time of crisis is coming for each and every one of us. It's part of life. It's part of living life in this world. And it could be a variety of things, relational crisis, health crisis, financial crisis, career crisis, emotional crisis. It can be any of a number of things. That crisis is coming. The question is, when it comes, will the walls of your faith be fortified? Or will they reveal what is lacking? And will you be crushed under the weight of what you have to endure? Friends, today is the day to begin to fortify the walls of your life. Today is the day to begin to grow in your faith, to make a commitment every day, Lord, I'm going to read your word. Every day, I'm going to pray. God, I'm going to draw close to you. So when that time comes, when that time comes, I'll be prepared. I remember hearing uh, a man who came and spoke to about 30 pastors that I was a part of. And he had a, a, a son that had special needs. And this son, with the special needs, came some health challenges. And he talked about the day that his son died. He said, that morning is, is my custom. I was up very early in the morning. And I had this amazing time with God. And I just, I just was reminded how much God loves me. And that my life's in his hands. And he said, then I went to check on my son and he was gone. But the Lord had prepared me that very morning for what I would face. For what I would endure. I never forgot that. There's a man who was building his wall of faith, even in times of relative peace. Here's a second thing that I want you to see in the life of King Hezekiah. And this is a negative example. Beware of choosing security in life over obedience to God. This is security 
is looking to anything other than the Lord to fill my life. Friends, here's the reality. Every day, you are bombarded. You watch football today, you'll be bombarded by commercials trying to get you to believe that if you just had that product, then your life would be filled. The world tells us that you're going to be fulfilled through money, through power, through success, through sex, through being loved and adored. Friends, that might fill you for a moment, but you weren't made for that. And it just drains right out. This is why so many people that we admire, whose lives we want, are living miserable lives. Because God created you for the purpose of being in relationship with him. Your life may be full of stuff and yet unfulfilled. When you fill your heart with the presence of God, you are full. But we are tempted day after day after day to change, to exchange God for money, to exchange God for success, to exchange God for being liked, to exchange God for the things that the world says is of great value. This is what happened to Hezekiah. He says, this is the words, this comes from Isaiah. This comes from Isaiah chapter 30, verses 1 to 3. Here's what's happened. Isaiah, I mean Hezekiah and his, and his council members, the ones that are giving him, um, uh, giving him counsel, come to him and say, hey, we've got a great idea. You know that bully Assyria? Well, there's a strong nation to the south called Egypt. Let's go make friends with Egypt, and it'll scare Assyria away from us. It's called making a military alliance. Let's enter into a military alliance with this bully so that we can together beat up this bully. It makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, it makes sense to me. It makes all the sense in the world. Except they didn't check with God first. Except they didn't look to God. And so this is what Isaiah says. Woe to the obstinate, he's the main prophet of the day in Hezekiah. Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord, to those who carry out plans that are not mine, not God's plans. Forming an alliance, but not by my spirit, not by my leading, heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. And indeed, Assyria destroys Egypt and then marches on Jerusalem to get, to get them off his back. Hezekiah has to give them all of the gold and all of the silver out of the temple of the Lord because he didn't follow God. He thought he had a better plan. A few, uh, last month in the last ser- uh, series, we talked about wisdom. What is wisdom? And what we see here, what we see is what true wisdom is. It's not seeing what looks, makes sense from a human perspective, but wisdom is always doing what it is that God is calling us to do. 
Now, here's the wisdom of God as we heard, for those of you who are here on Thanksgiving Eve, as Pastor Dave brought a great message to us from Psalm 44. Listen to the difference in perspective. You are my king. You are my God who decrees victories for Jacob. Though we push back our enemies, through your name we trample our foes. I put no trust in my bow. My sword does not bring me victory, but you give us victory over our enemies. You put our adversaries to shame. In God, we make our boast all day long, and we will praise your name forever. In other words, the battle belongs to the Lord. How often do we make decisions thinking, ah, I got this. I got this. I learned a lesson about this many years ago when I did a funeral service for uh, a man in our ch- my church in Michigan. And they told me a story about him that I shared at the service. He and his wife, they had a f- big trailer uh, uh, or motorhome. And they drove it from Michigan to Alaska. They took like three months. And they came back and they had prayed every day, oh Lord, protect us on this journey. And, and then he literally said out loud, as they were about 50 feet from his driveway, he said, okay, Lord, I've got it from here. He turned in, and on 100th Street there, every driveway, for every driveway is a, is a big, big dip. And then the driveway is built over it. And he drove it right into, the, right into that big gorge and flipped it. He never forgot that story, and I haven't either. Okay, God, I've got this now. You see, he put his security in the wrong things. We do the same. We put our security in the size of our bank account. We put our security in our health. We put our security in the success that we have in this world. Friends, this is going to be over like that. Does that make sense? It doesn't to me, but you know what? I fall to that too. I chase all the gods. I'm constantly being distracted by all the gods my world offers me. And I look for security in these false things that literally don't matter and won't last. Doesn't make sense. Here's a third thing that I want you to see. A positive example is Hezekiah turning to the Lord in a time of distress. Audrey, was, as she read in chapter 32, we're going to look at a passage that contains the very prayer that Hezekiah offered to the Lord. The Assyrians are at the wall. Without the Lord's intervention, they are going to be destroyed. The city will be razed to the ground. There, from a human perspective, there is no hope left. So Isaiah And Hezekiah, go into the temple of the Lord. And there, they come before God and they pray. And I want you to hear Hezekiah's prayer. Now, before I read through this, I, I, I want you to think about when you are going through a difficult time, where do you turn? Where do you turn? Where do you look? When you're sick, you go to a doctor, absolutely. But do we pray? 
If we're in financial trouble, we, we run to a, maybe a financial advisor. But do we pray? When we're struggling with our marriage, now all these are good things. We go to a marriage counselor, which is what we should do. But do we pray? Or is God praying to God just something we tack on to the end of these other things that we know are really going to work? Hezekiah and Isaiah turn to the Lord. Listen to what we read in verses 15 to 19. (coughs) Excuse me. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Hear the prayer. Lord, the God of Israel, a throne enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heaven and the earth. Now remember, as Audrey read, that Sennacherib and the Assyrians are taunting the Jews that their God is a false God. Their God has no power. You got to believe that they're starting, some of the people are starting to wonder, is that true? Because we're being overrun. We're being overrun. Listen to it again. He says, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words Sennacherib has sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste to these nations and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. For they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are Lord and God. Wow. That's amazing. I want you to hear why this is such an amazing prayer. It's one that I've gone back to many times in my life. Number one, what I want you to see. He turns to God. He turns to God. Now, at what point? He turns at the end. But he might have been turning throughout. I don't know. But we know he turned when all seemed lost. The second thing that we know is that he reminds himself of who God is. God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. Now think about this. If God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, if God made all that we know and all that we see, is God capable of intervening in your life, yes or no? Is he capable of intervening in your life, yes or no? Friends, here's the reality. I don't know that we really believe that. If we don't pray, we don't really believe that. And so what I do is I remind myself of who God is. He only—he created the world by speaking his word. He can speak into any circumstance. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to give me what I want because he didn't create me or you to live a lifetime in this world. He created you and me to live an eternity with him. He doesn't think just about the 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 years that we live in this world. He's thinking about all of time in a moment. We just are thinking about today, yesterday, and tomorrow. 
We don't have that eternal perspective. And so sometimes God says no to something we're asking him to do. It makes no sense to us, but in God's design, there's a purpose. And I remind myself of that. And then he says this, give ear, Lord. Now, this is powerful. You see, the false idols that people worshiped back then, they were just made out of wood. They were just made out of metal or whatever. They couldn't speak. They couldn't listen. But not our God. And so this is what he says. Give ear, Lord. Hear us. Open your eyes, Lord. See our circumstances. Listen, Lord. Give ear and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the words of the enemy. God, hear my words. God, see my circumstances. God sees. God hears. He knows more about what is true about your circumstances than you will ever know and that I will ever know. And that's a great comfort to me in the midst of my crisis, in the midst of my struggles, when I'm gone up 90 degrees and now I'm hanging, thinking I'm going to fly out of that little, little ride, I always have to have, remind myself, okay, it's not going to break because if that was a possibility, their insurance would be insane. <laughs> and then that makes me very calm. Last thing I want you to see. Oh, so here's what, I'm sorry, let me read this. Here's what happens. God responds through the prophet Isaiah to this prayer. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria, who has been taunting God. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not become before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not enter this city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city. I will save it. For my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. It's not Egypt that will save the city. It is God that will save the city. Now remember the last line, and I pray this as well, well in Hezekiah's, Hezekiah's prayer. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand so that all the, kings of the kingdoms of the world may know that you are the Lord God. Do this, Lord, for your glory. Do this, Lord, that you might be magnified. Do this, Lord, that you might be celebrated. Here's the last thing that I want you to see, and that's this. Invest not just for the sake of your own life. Invest for the generations to come. God is an eternal God. He's not just the God of our generation. He's the eternal God of generation after generation after generation behind us, and generation after generation, a generation that'll go before us until he returns. And so we are to build not just based on what is best for my little life in this world, but we are to build for the sake of the future generations to come as well. Hezekiah didn't learn his lesson with Egypt. And so during this time, the nation of Babylon began to gain power. And so Hezekiah did what he did with Egypt. He didn't learn the lesson. He runs without God's approval. 
he, and he invites envoys from Babylon to come to the great city of Jerusalem. They come, and what he does, he shows him his personal treasures that probably have been passed down from David. Probably great wealth. And all that does is pique the appetite of the Babylonians to destroy, to destroy Judah, which eventually they do. And so what happens is, we read this. This, is, this really makes me sad, because I think this attitude is pretty prevalent today. And I want you to ask yourself, is this me? Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord, because basically of what he's done with Babylon, the time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. You'll be destroyed by Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. Verse 19, the word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. What? This is good? What are you talking about? He just said that the nation will be destroyed. The palace will be destroyed. In fact, even the temple of the Lord is destroyed. And you're telling us that is good? Listen to his perspective. For he thought, will there not be peace and security in my lifetime? I am, that just, man, every time I read that, it grips my soul. Because I think a lot of us as Christians live that way. We are not to live just for our generation. We are to live for the generations to come. Because God who is at work today will be equally at work tomorrow, equally at work in the next generation. How are we preparing that generation to be moving forward with the kingdom of God? How are we working? How are we investing time and energy and finances into making sure that the next generation, but pastor, that means we'll have less. Yes, it does. Because God says we already have it all. We have everything if we have Christ. We may have less for ourselves in this world, but who cares? Our life in this world is that. Then we have an eternity with God. We have to expand our perspective that we invest not in just into ourselves and our own, but we are investing in the work of God today and the work of God tomorrow and the work of the tomorrow of God and the work of tomorrows after that. But we have to live with that perspective. I wonder how many of us think these kinds of thoughts at least there's going to be peace and security for me in my lifetime. I want to challenge you to go before God. Is that your perspective? Are you living with that kind of self-focus? Are you living with, oh Lord, what can you do? How can you use me today for the next generation and the generations to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power of your word. Lord, I'm just so thankful for King Hezekiah's story. I learned so much about myself. And God, my prayer is that by your grace and your goodness, 
you will challenge all of us, Lord, to look honestly at these four critical points that we learn from his life. God, may we not necessarily take all of it, but maybe, Lord, just one thing that we need to take to allow you to transform us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.